Hello, I'm Kate Chabot. Welcome to an extra edition of SITREP. When Russia invaded Ukraine exactly a year ago, most people thought it would be over in days. Twelve months on, Ukraine controls more than 80% of its territory and Russia has lost half the ground that it took. Key to this is the resolve of the Ukrainian people. But they have paid a heavy price. At least 20,000 civilians killed, 100,000 troops injured and killed. Eight million people, mostly women and children, have left as refugees. To understand what that's been like, I've been talking to Mariana Drach, who's the Ukrainian service director at Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, in Ukraine's capital, Kyiv. It's a very uh, devastating. Even though we prepared for different scenarios, it was a shocking day, the February 24th of last year, and extremely hard year. Over a long time, Russia conducted a massive disinformation campaign to underline uh, the legitimacy of the Ukrainian state, and there were signs that Russian President Putin uh, is getting even more aggressive, uh, but it was a harrowing day a year ago. And at that time, we had uh, dozens of reporters on the ground. So my job was to think how we should cover the invasion. And since the start of the war, our journalists uh, have uncovered mass graves in Mariupol in eastern Ukraine, they also documented uh, disinformation around search of Russian sailors killed in the sinking of the Moskva cruiser. And also, we at RFRL uh, reported ex extensively on the Russian filtration camps and war crimes. And we covered, for instance, also rape by Russian troops uh, very um, close to Kiev. And when deaths are counted in thousands and atrocities happen day after day, uh, it is probably easy to become numb to the horrors of the war. Uh, but I think that we cannot. And one of the most important stories to me was a story that my colleague Sergei Andrushko uh, uncovered. He went to a village near Kiev, the Ukrainian capital, and uh, documented in detail who died, where and how they were killed, and whom they left behind. And uh, initially, we learned about several uh, cases uh, of people that were killed by the Russian occupation forces, but then he uncovered 17 cases in total. And that happened during one month uh, of Russian occupation of that particular Ukrainian village, Andriyevka, and in my view, the story is a tribute to every death uh, of the Russian invasion in Ukraine, because if we can project the situation of that village to Ukraine at large, we can imagine what has already happened and what can happen if this full-fledged war will continue. And Mariana, you're talking to me from Kyiv right now. What is life like there at the moment? Of course, the life has changed dramatically uh, in a year. But today, for instance, uh, the sun is shining, uh, it's frosty weather. And uh, there is a feeling of, there is a very good feeling, I would say, because 
Ukraine was able to resist the Russian uh, aggression for a very, very long time. And of course, we don't know what to expect tomorrow. And we hear different uh, warnings of Ukrainian officials, what might happen on the 23rd of February, on the 24th of February, uh, their expectations that Russia will be attacking uh, the Ukrainian capital again. And this will happen uh, during these two symbolic days as they say, for Russia. Uh, the mayor of the Ukrainian capital, Klitschko, he said that Ukrainian air defense is much better now, so this is um, good to hear, but we don't know what to expect. So this, this is something which is in the air. On the one hand, uh, Ukrainians are now much stronger than they were uh, a year ago, uh, but this uh, uncertainty of what to, uh, what to expect ne next is certainly is there as well. And how different is the city to how it was before the invasion? Oh, you would hear the sound of generators everywhere in the city. Uh, it's dark when you walk uh, uh, in the city. Uh, the center of the central cave is lighted, uh, but when there are power outages, the situation and the feeling is very, very different. But I am surprised uh, that uh, Ukrainian um, industry is, service industry, is very resistant as well. So, for instance, you can order food online. Uh, everything is working even uh, during uh, horrible uh, power outages. Different shops were functioning and you can, you know, people would have lights and they would deliver you online food with lights sometimes on their uh, torch lights or lights on the head so i think to me this is a very powerful sign that people that support the city were deter and commercial businesses that work uh, in town were determined to serve the uh, population but of course uh, you can get for instance if you go to a shop sometimes you would see that it's uh, not uh, in the freezer but standing on the warm shelf because due to power outages uh, not every small business was able to secure powerful generator and to take care of milk products this is something very casual example of life in the city it is a dramatic change of course because People in the city have to hide in shelters, but also not everybody is doing this every time. And uh, it's a new life. It's a completely new life that I think that many did not expect uh, a year ago. And how much physical damage has the capital suffered? Uh, the city def definitely suffered. And I remember when the first residential buildings with civilians were destroyed, it was a great shock uh, for Kiev residents because at first uh, this war started in Ukraine in 2014 and uh, many people in the cave, uh, in the cave region, in the Ukrainian capital, were used to uh, having the war uh, in eastern Ukraine. And of course, for already over eight years, you would see uh, soldiers, you would see uh, uh, other people in military uniforms, but the, the war, it appeared, was far away. Uh, I remember very well the strikes in, uh, in the park, uh, near Kiev Shevchenko University that happened uh, in October because it was a playground that I went 
to with my daughter with my small daughter who is now a teenager but i remember very well how we enjoyed that excellent park uh, in central cave and uh, also i was really surprised how quickly when that park was attacked how quickly it was repaired by cave authorities uh, so it was really shocking to see uh, when uh, central cave was attacked when you see buildings benches uh, and uh, things which are part of your personal memory it's very hard to see this yes. and of course many uh, Kiev residents and ukrainians at large they have uh, they know many people that lost their lives and i can also can tell you about my personal uh, experience i lost a close colleague uh, our journalist uh, producer uh, of the Ukrainian service of uh, RFRL, Vera Heric. Uh, she was killed in her cave apartment at the end of April last year. And it was the day when UN Secretary General visited uh, the Ukrainian mm. capital. And with Vera, we were in touch daily, uh, at least twice a day, because we um, have our daily coverage meetings and every morning and late afternoon we discussed tasks of correspondence plan topics and to me losing vira was a great great loss yes. i'm also thinking um, about the story the last story that she produced because to me it was also in a way symbolic she uh, found a holocaust victim who managed to escape, seized Mariupol in eastern Ukraine. And I remember how Vera was happy that she was able to uncover that uh, story that was not told to the world before. And that woman said that blockade of Mariupol was like blockade of Leningrad, only much mm. worse. And she was comparing uh, events in Mariupol with the Second World War and her husband survived the blockade of Leningrad. So to me, this is very personal because Vera was very kind, professional, and her murder is a great loss. And Vera is one of many Ukrainian civilians that died during this war. And he's also one of many Ukrainian journalists because uh, over 40 Ukrainian journalists were killed in the war, some as regular civilians, some joined uh, armed forces. There is also a feeling that uh, no hostile environment training can protect our people in the field when we understand that Russian bombs, they target just everybody. And mm. there is no safe place uh, in Ukraine because I'm talking to you uh, from Kiev, but also I travel frequently to Western Ukraine, to Lviv, and there is also a feeling there that when the energy infrastructure is targeted, there is no safe place in the country. And it's not only um, Eastern Ukraine, it's not only Southern Ukraine, it's also Western Ukraine. I'm really sorry to hear about your loss, the loss of your colleague and your friend. It's hard to imagine how you and other Ukrainians process those losses while carrying on through this battle for survival. But you've already said that, that that's very important, isn't it? Uh, the battle for survival, this is what you said, and this is exactly right, because 
there is a feeling that there is uh, no way that you can hide anywhere. This is your land, and many Ukrainians feel this, that uh, they have no other place. And some believe that the Russian plan now is to simply keep the strikes coming, keep the pressure up and wear down the resolve of Ukrainians. Has that resolve changed at all over the course of a year? I think that the resilience of Ukrainians only grew. Of course, this is a screenshot of what is happening today. Uh, but today, I think that many Ukrainians would feel that they achieved the moral victory. And of course, we are not talking about territorial control of entire country, but it's a winning spirit mm. and maybe a moral victory because polls repeatedly say that over 90%, and I've seen the recent poll is like 95% of Ukrainians, they believe in victory over Russia. And what is also important that Ukraine retook uh, probably by surprise to many it took 40 percent of the territory that russia has captured after february 24th of last year and president zelensky is seen as nothing less than a hero in nato nations what is support for him and his handling of the war like in ukraine i can tell you again that opinion polls show that zelensky has a very very strong support in the country and uh, before the war, uh, his rankings were sliding in opinion polls, but now he is certainly the national leader. I think that this is a very important uh, factor because uh, remember that uh, a year ago, uh, some were expecting that uh, he would flee the country, that he will be assassinated, his state, and even his um, opponents recognize that it was brave and it was important. It doesn't, uh, at the same time, that doesn't mean that there are no uh, like internal critics uh, in the country, but definitely he is now very much supported by the Ukrainian population and also not only President Zelensky, but also the Ukrainian armed forces. Ukrainians strongly now trust the uh, Ukrainian army and of course he's leading the armed forces but this is something also important that Ukrainian um, defense efforts are strongly supported by uh, entire population. And Mariana the old saying goes that all wars end in negotiation do you think it is possible that this war will end that way however long it takes? I think that it is important that Ukraine will not be ready and again, if you would listen to Ukrainians, Ukraine is not ready to give up uh, any inch of its territory, including Donetsk, Luhansk, and Crimea. Uh, so uh, if we would listen to Ukrainian officials, yes, they say that they're ready for peace, but they would not ready to sacrifice the Ukrainian national interests. So mm. I think there would be a great resistance um, if, uh, there will be pressure to give up any part of the Ukrainian territory. And can Ukraine ever return to being the country it was a decade ago after everything that's happened when more than 8 million of the population identify as ethnically Russian? Uh, I think that 
I don't quite understand why we have to uh, speak about, uh, like, um, in this, uh, uh, speaking about the war about ethnic Russians, because uh, I know many ethnic Russians in Ukraine who feel uh, great Ukrainian citizens, and they are fighting uh, for Ukraine in the Ukrainian armed forces. So I think that uh, this is probably one of the stereotypes uh, that uh, ethnic Russians or Russian speakers in Ukraine uh, were uh, in any way persecuted, and this is something that Russian propaganda said. But today you would hear in Kiev, on Kiev streets, Russian language, either Ukrainian or Russian. Uh, so I don't think this is the, um, this is the key, this question mm -hmm. of uh, ethnicity. I think it's uh, for Ukraine uh, to become strong and to look into future, it doesn't have to become the, uh, you mentioned something that would happen like uh, a decade ago. I think that Ukraine has to look into the future and mm -hmm. how it can live in the future. And if we are talking about the Ukrainian future, uh, Ukraine uh, has applied to the EU a few days after the full-fledged invasion. And it is the hope of country's leadership. It is also cemented in the country's constitution along with NATO membership. And according to opinion polls, over 85% of Ukrainians more than ever before want Ukraine to be in NATO and EU. So this is the country uh, where Ukrainians are looking uh, at the moment. So I think that uh, ethnic Russians should not have problem in the <laughs> EU country that one day Ukraine might become. And Mariana, in your career, I think it's probably fair to say you probably experienced or had to deal with nothing like this before, both personally and professionally. What keeps you going? Uh, what keeps me going? I think it's the bravery uh, of my colleagues who are working every day to um, report from front lines investigate war crimes and I'm very proud of my colleagues that are working uh, on the ground in U Ukraine and this is what keeps me going and also the second thing which is important to me is um, I personally do not think that this is some that the war will be over very soon of course I wish I'm very very wrong but I think that we have to be prepared uh, to cover this war for a longer period of time. And I think it is important to uh, have the energy and dedication and determination to do this. So unfortunately, I don't have a feeling that this will be over soon. Mariana Drach, the Ukrainian Service Director at Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Thank you very much for talking to SITREP. Thank you. News, discussions and analysis. This is SITREP.